Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about the Super Bowl, the game, the halftime show, the commercials, and then we're joined by Leonor Ortega Till from Five Iron Frenzy. You're listening to The Common Good. everybody, happy Monday and welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today. Ian, not only is it Monday, and we'll reflect here uh, about on the Super Bowl here in a second, but how are you and your family handling just this brutal cold that we are in the middle of and is showing no signs of letting up anytime soon? I mean, is this new to this area, though? Like, I feel like... It feels worse. Yeah, but we say that every year, though. It always true. I just started keeping track of it. I started writing it down like, oh, this feels like a brand new cold, but I know that it isn't. This is one of the weird (laughs) benefits of something like Facebook memories, because like right now, you know, what would your phone say? 14, 12, 11, whatever. We've had days. Remember when the polar vortex was all the rage and it was like all the rage <laughs> 20 30 below and yep. you were just sp- sprinting from your car to your house as fast as you like we know that we've endured worse than this i w- i mean it does feel yeah it feels worse every year maybe it's just because we're getting older is that why is that a thing i think so i think so it's about time we retire to florida like everybody else but i, I would say what's <laughs> making this one hard is like when you watch the weather and they're like, hey, 10-day forecast, it's never going to be above 15 for the next 10 days. And you're like, oh, my God, I just feel the life sapping out of me. Like, oh, no. <laughs> it's yeah, that's, the that's a bit of a bummer. That's a bummer. <laughs> it is. It is. So anyway, we hope that you do well. We do want to let you know at the beginning of next hour, we've got some news uh, that affects the show. Uh, that is what we call a tease in the business. So be sure to be with us at the five o'clock oh. hour as we talk oh. about that. But uh, as everybody knows, last night was the Super Bowl and the Super Bowl is so much more than the game uh, these days. Culturally, it really is a cultural event. That's a mix of the game, the halftime show, the commercials. Uh, at, you know, you might be at a party or not at a party or whatever else it might be. Uh, so let's start with the game, the actual Super Bowl last night, surprisingly won in blowout fashion by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Ian, any reflections, any takeaways from the actual game last night? Boring. <laughs> it kind of was, and I was super excited for it. I saw, I gosh, I wish I would have saved it. I saw someone on Twitter said uh, that game could have been an email just saying. <laughs> <laughs> it could have been an email. Um. Yeah. This, here's here's the honest to god truth. I I just like watching close games. I know that's not like a hot take. I'm sure a lot of people do. And if you're a Buccaneers fan or a Brady fan, or whatever you you know, you're like, yeah, let it be a blowout. I'm fine with that. Right. I just it's like I, I when I was done, I turned to my wife. I was like, well, I won't get those three and a half hours of my life back. Like I just it was <laughs> it was. Yeah, it was historic in a lot of ways. It'll still go down as, you know, the 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 COVID Super Bowl. That was definitely strange. We can probably get into some of that. There's certainly aspects to it that were very, very memorable. Not to mention, by the way, not to like, I don't mean this as like a consolation prize. Um, two throws in particular from Mahomes. I was like, that's not human. That's. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Un- like, I, I know that's he's like, yeah, great. We still lost by a, a lot. Um by the way, never he's never lost uh, by double digits before. Did you know that? Unbelievable, oh, unbelievable wow. statistic. That doesn't, doesn't even seem real. Like how is that? <laughs> that's not? But yeah, there was a couple of throws. I was like, oh, he's a he's a sorcerer. That's that's some black magic right there. Or something something's not. 
it's very that part was uh, strange. But yeah, overall, uh, kind of a boring game. I, I don't know if you felt the same way. Yeah, so there's the historical element, right? Tom Brady winning his seventh Super Bowl. Tom Brady and I are like a month apart in age, which is uh, <laughs> which wow. uh, causes me to look in the mirror. Uh, sure. <laughs> but uh, seven Super Bowls, which is just unfathomable. He uh, he has now more won more Super Bowls than any organization in the NFL in their history. Just to put yeah. it into perspective, so just unbelievable. But as you said, there was a moment, and I was so excited for this game last night, and there was a moment in. Our our house where it was in a commercial break and it was just quiet. We were all just sitting there and I turned to my kids and I just go, well, this one's a letdown. Yeah. <laughs> like it was, it was hard. So let's jump off the game. Let's go okay. halftime show. Sure. The, it, halftime shows, Super Bowl halftime shows, you know, 80 to 90% of the time make me feel really old because I'm like, I don't know who this person is. So I did turn to my kids and go, I have no idea who the weekend is. Yep. Uh, then they played his biggest song. And I was like, OK, I do know that song. Sure. I've heard that song, uh, but I had no real concept. Uh, the weekend could walk into the room tomorrow and I'd be like, I don't know who that is. Right. And so. Uh, I did see some funny tweets from you about everybody working for the weekend or sure. other things. But uh, what was your take on the halftime show last night? I th- the take I was most proud of was um, <laughs> said something like, I don't know, that felt more like a weekday to me. Uh, <laughs> I did which appreciate I was, that. I was, pretty, I was pretty proud of that. Yeah, I, I also wrote or I texted um, our sound tech at Community because at the very beginning of it, I don't know if you remember it, the his vocals were almost non-existent. So I, t- I texted him. Yes. I was like, you would never let this mix happen. Like that was another aspect of it that felt strange. But then again, like I hopped online and a bunch of friends that I respect a lot loved it for some yes. pretty substantial reasons. I thought, all right, I didn't hate it. Like when I think of like performances that I'm just going to loathe for decades, that definitely was not one of them. <laughs> um, the we- the masks that looked like underwear on people's heads. Those were, that was yes. kind of strange. Like, I realize this is making us sound older and older with every passing moment. Um, but yeah, I think, I think, I mean, the songs are catchy. I thought it was like fun. I thought it was, I don't know, choreographed well. I don't know. I don't, know, I don't even yeah. know how to like speak intelligently to those things. That felt, that felt strange though. There was, and it's now a meme or a gif, whichever it is going around of there was that moment where it was like, I'm going to sound old again here, where it made me feel motion sick, where he was in amongst the yep. mirrors, kind of yep, spinning sure. around. Sure. Uh, that one got me. So I felt about the halftime show the same way I felt about the game. Eh, you know, okay. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't bad. Wasn't great. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Let's end with the commercials. And the commercials were a little different this year because a lot of the big players stayed out of the commercials this year, mm-hmm. uh, saying that they were putting their money towards COVID vaccines uh, right, vaccine right. disbursement and other things, which was great. But there were still a lot of uh, interesting or funny commercials. So uh, on the commercial side of things, you got the game, the halftime show, and now the commercials. Your take on the commercials during the Super Bowl last night. Well, you had a tease. I'd like to offer a tease. So in the second hour, Tyler Huckabee from Relevant Magazine wrote, I thought, a, uh, a really fascinating article about that Bruce Springsteen Jeep commercial that everyone's talking mm-hmm. about right now. Uh, which you mentioned, you're like, I liked it. So that'll be a fun discussion a little bit later in the show. <laughs> um, there were a there were a couple laugh out loud moments for me. I don't even know that I <laughs> remember them anymore. But even those felt like a like a B plus maybe yeah. like it. I don't know. Maybe yeah. Maybe maybe that's also part of getting older. I was like, I feel like I used to like just die laughing at some of these, and I don't feel like I had a bunch of that. But maybe you did though. 
No, I didn't. Uh, you could tell that they were. Uh, you you could tell that some of the major players weren't putting a ton of money into the commercials this year. Like there was, yeah, it sure. just had a different feel to it this year, you know. And also, uh, our kids got to see a little bit into our childhood or our teenage years with the there was a uh, uh, there was Wayne's World. So I kind of enjoyed seeing Wayne, Mike Myers, and uh, Dana Carvey again. Yeah, but but wasn't that that was Uber Eats though, right? Like it's it, the. Somebody- there's Somebody no, pointed out, yes. The Uber Eats, like, oh, for supporting local. And I'm like, mm, I don't know that that math actually checks out. Somebody did point out that Uber Eats spent five and a half million dollars on a television ad telling people to eat local when they take 30% of all. Yeah. Local. Oh, boy. But I, pre- but, but between Wayne's World and Beavis and Butthead having prominent roles, you were just kind of like, yep, there's my <laughs> high school life just kind of in a nutshell. So, yeah. Uh, yep. I think we could, uh, for me, the game, the halftime show, the commercials, they were fun, but eh, you know, it wasn't the best year for any of them, but the Super Bowl is always fun. Good family time. Good knowing that everybody is watching. So uh, hopefully you enjoyed the Super Bowl as well. We'd love your reflections. We got some stuff up on our Facebook page, Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk. Well, coming up next, we are excited to be talking to uh, the saxophonist, one of the main players from Five Iron Frenzy, Leonore Ortega Till. She's going to join us for two segments next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, I'm Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today. And we're glad to have uh, someone who's been on the show before, Leonore Ortega Till, back with us today. Leonore, how are you doing today? I'm good. Enjoying the sun here in Denver, Colorado. Uh, we we cannot say the same here in Chicago. <laughs> but, uh, but besides that, why don't you reintroduce yourself to our audience so they can get to know you a little bit? Yeah, so I play tenor saxophone in the band Five Iron Frenzy. Used to play um, Judson College in Chicago area a lot. Mm-hmm. And we hail mm-hmm. from Denver, ska punk band. And I also do some urban ministry with an organization called Urban Sky. I'll have you know it's now Judson University. So we're, oh, uh, fancy. we're <laughs> moving up. I think Wheaton's still Wheaton College. So maybe, right. uh, maybe eventually we they don't- can catch up. Yeah, we don't need the title, so we're good. Obviously, <laughs> sure. All right, so uh, a bunch of questions, not the least of which is uh, you all just released a new album, Until This Shakes Apart, and I have about seven or eight questions because, as everyone knows at this point, the last year was a really bizarre year, and I imagine, especially for writing and recording an album, what what was that process even like for you guys? Honestly, it was the highlight of like the last year and a half. Wow. There's nothing else going on, and so since we right. can't play concerts... No, seriously, it was like something to do. And it was so Mm -hmm. fun. We would go to Scott's house. He lives in Colorado, made a basement studio. We took turns recording um, there and we're safe, you know, wear masks and stuff. But releasing the album has been the highlight of this year and Mm -hmm. actually reading people's posts that are happy and excited about something. This is pretty cool. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. And as you said, in the midst of COVID, when you guys are used to just touring and doing concerts, what's it been like for you as a musician uh, to not be able to do live concerts? And like the rest of us, do you have any idea, any clue from people as to when you'll be able to start doing that again? Yeah, don't really know right now. I mean, two of our uh, members work in healthcare, and we're all over the place. So not really sure when that will happen. But One of the good things about the pandemic is it gave us time to be creative with our writing process. So we got to add more horn parts, 
more, take more time with the lyrics, take more time collaborating on the songs. This time, since we weren't going to New York or California to record and we were doing it here in Denver, we could take our time and add things. So that felt really like a lot of freedom. And I think the creativity in the album really shows. Well, and there also was a, a Kickstarter, which I think last time you were on, we talked about because I don't remember what the target was, but didn't, didn't you guys raise like a quarter million dollars or something? I don't know how much it was over. Like it was over 200,000. And this time we, we asked though for, I think 60,000 and we reached that goal in 31 minutes. <laughs> and, and we were asking, you know, how about a month? Oh, 31 minutes. <laughs> wow. Like I have wow. another half hour. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, I know. It's so crazy. It's so crazy, but it's so, it's a testament to how beautiful, like all the people are that listen to our music and just yes. the fact that if you're a nerd band and you get nerd fans, they come up with pretty good careers down the road and they remember you. <laughs> Uh, So you talked about this last time you were on, but for people who are unaware, Five Iron Frenzy, how long have you guys been a band? And and what's the kind of Reader's Digest version of the story? Like, are you have you guys always been a band? Were there seasons where you weren't together? Why don't you tell us a little bit of the story of Five Iron Frenzy? Yeah, so we started as a ragtag punk ska Christian band, missional Christian (laughs) band in 1995. And we were just a bunch of people in love with Jesus that wanted to play it play at shows and venues. Sometimes we do Christian festivals, but a lot of the time we would open up for what we would call secular bands, you know, like Goldfinger or Less Than Jake, different punk bands and ska bands and did Warp Tour, did a lot of touring, also did, you know, South Africa, you know, with some mission organizations, did other countries, did other states, all the states, in fact, bought a school bus and lived in that. Um, (laughs) And then we got kind of tired of touring and, Wanted to, you know, settle down a bit more. And we were getting really involved in starting a church called Scum of the Earth in mm-hmm. Denver. And so in 2003, we um, said goodbye. We did our last big show, our last album, put out a live album. And then we broke up for like nine years. Wow. wow. I know, right? And then in that time, everybody got married. Most of us had kids. Pretty much thought it was done until, boom, We had a barbecue and started talking about music. And by 2011, we were back at it with only one lineup change. Oh, man. I didn't realize the barbecue was like the central component of that. No, I know, right? (laughs) Barbecue slash Micah's birthday party. I love it. God bless Micah and barbecue. Well, I I think I probably mentioned this last time. So in a lot of ways, like punk and ska music is what honestly got me into music in the first place. And that's a whole other story that I, I I won't bore you with. But um like you said, you guys, I mean, clearly not only have a, a big following, but a really loyal following. And this might be out of Brian's wheelhouse a little bit, but I, I'm, for me, it was like Five Iron and then Insiders, you know, because I was from Detroit. It was mm-hmm. super tones in terms of like the Christian field. And then you get, you know, less than Jake and Lagwag and all these other. Do you have like a favorite, like as a as an artist yourself? Like, man, when I think of like the premier punk and or ska band of all time, like who comes to mind for you? Um, I really like Pilfers. They have Cooley Ranks as the front man for them, and they have like mm-hmm. a Jamaican kind of New York vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, Les and Jake have the longevity. Let's just yes. be honest. They yes. never stopped. So, <laughs> you know, the nine years that we took a break, they were still playing the, you know, their older songs and their newer songs and putting out music. Really fun That's guys, nice. really honest. I, I just think like MU330, they're, they're a band from St. Louis, also really fun. And Mike Park, he is the, uh, the lead guy for Asian Man Records. Hmm. Um, he has a lot to do. He put out Alkaline Trio. He put out a lot of our albums. He runs a label right now. 
that guy does a lot of things for ska music. He was the guy who came up with the idea of ska against racism tour. And wow. he did P for police, P, plea, okay, plea for peace. <laughs> Same kind of idea, right? <laughs> yeah. So he does a lot for not just, not just ska music, but benevolence, like raising awareness, awareness and raising money for cool things. Wow. Mm. I don't know if this is a hard question, but as Ian said, I am the non-musician of the, of the tandem here. So for people out there, how would you even describe ska? Would you describe ska music for us? Right. And if you want the longer version, you can look up the movie called Pick It Up, Ska in the 90s. And I was one of the producers of that film. It's a documentary. Yes. But for the abridged version, um, it's kind of like Jamaican music with the accent on the upbeat going. So it's kind of like reggae, reggae. But a little right. faster, and for the for the ska core part, the core is like you know fast punk rock drums. There doesn't have to be horns, but the accent on the upbeats, um, and then you add the punk to it. So that's kind of ska core music. Mm-hmm. Well, hence the title Upbeats and Beatdowns. Well, that's a good – I appreciate the question, Brian, because I, I imagine a lot of people, maybe if you didn't grow up in it, you didn't know. But uh, before we went live here, you were sharing how often people will mispronounce your name. And when, when I was introduced to Five Iron, in the lineup, you were you were Jeff the girl. And I've never asked you this question. Where did that story or that name even come from? Well, I was a young tomboy at church camp at 12 years old. And, you know, in church camp, you do these dramas, these plays. And I had the backwards baseball cap and my character was a boy, you know, for the for the play on stage at church camp. And my youth pastor said, she's she's just a total dude. Call her Jeff the girl. She hates it. (laughs) (laughs) And I just thought it was the funniest thing. And being like a total tomboy, I was like, yeah, you could call me Jeff since anyone mispronounced my name anyway. So it stuck. Big time. Jeff the girl is my nickname for decades. (laughs) <laughs> Again, we are thrilled to be joined uh, by Leonore Ortega Till. Uh, she is a part of the group Five Iron Frenzy, who has a new album coming out called Until This Shakes Apart. So, Leonore, uh, you mentioned the writing process and that even in the midst of COVID, you guys have had more room and it's been more fun. I'd love to just know what is the writing process? Give us a, uh, a look into the writing process as you're making an album. Right. So it's kind of this thing with bands. Sometimes there's a main songwriter and our main songwriter is Scott Kerr. But we definitely have a a belief that anybody can write a song. So anybody can come to the bat and try to write a song and put something forward. Usually Mm -hmm. it starts with guitars and then naturally the bass and the drums. But lastly, because we have so much instrumentation, we have a trombone, a trumpet and a saxophone, which basically operate as one horn section. We usually play harmonies, but the same part. And then we also have a a vocalist. So there is only so much room in a song. So you need to vie over what part's going to be horns, what part's going to be vocals. And so for our band, anybody can write parts, but the main songwriter basically has veto power, right? (laughs) Because there's too many cooks in the kitchen. Right. And yeah, so what we usually would do is kind of demo different parts and you make up fake lyrics in the beginning because this is where the vocals will go, you know, and you just sing something over it. And then you have to fine tune where the vocals will go and where the horns will go so that you're not overwhelming the listener with too much sound and that there's room to breathe. Kind of like a visual artist, you need some negative space somewhere in there. Right. I'm I'm wondering why you think Five Iron achieved the level of success that it did and then continues to. Because what I find so interesting about about the band as a whole is that you have some songs that are 
they're just goofy and they're wild and like you have to listen to like five times like what is he even saying he's making mashed potatoes and he's getting hit by cars i don't understand and then you have other songs that are like really incredibly heartfelt and emotional and stand the test of time we put on a great live show i guess i'm kind of answering the question for you but why did, like <laughs> as someone who's been a part of it for as long as you have like why do you think five iron has, has stood the test of time i think because we represent the duality of people like people mm. have that Funny, let's have a good night, Saturday night, hang out with our friends. We got a babysitter, let's dance and act like we're 13. But right. then there's also, especially as we became adults, right? Like I started the band when I, well, I was in the band when I was 18, I'm 44 now. And so mm-hmm. the things on the, my mind are, how do I be a citizen of this beautiful country and the duality of noticing the things that need to get better and grow, but also saying, man, the United States is beautiful. We love it. It's precious to us. How do we vote? How do we care? How do we right. how do we even just live out the message of Jesus in this divided world? How do we show our neighbors, whether they're Christians or not, the love of Jesus? So mm-hmm. I think that it speaks to when you pick up an album, you're going to get all that. You're going to get fun, funny, nostalgic, angsty, angry, disappointed, mm-hmm. and repentant, like re- mm-hmm. repentance. You're going to get everything. And I think that for the normal you know, person next door, we have all that going on in our spirit anyway. Yes. Yeah. I, I wonder, Leonard, uh, do you enjoy more? I, I wonder if this is, if it's an either or for musicians and bands, do you enjoy more the live performance and the crowd and doing that? Or do you enjoy the craft of writing songs and putting an album together? Well, my husband says I'm a much better wife when I get to play shows. <laughs> it's very true. I am not going to complain about doing the dishes every day in the laundry when on the weekend, once a month, I get to get my hair dyed blue, buy a new outfit, put on my Chuck Taylors, pack a backpack, and go rock out. I thrive off the attention and the love and people being at shows and meeting new people and seeing my friends. I mean, we've been a band since 95. All over the United States, I have close friends now. And so to say, let's get breakfast before the show. Let's go to Denny's after the show. Just hang out with me at the show. Like, I just need to see people. And for me, the cherry on top has always been the sacred experience that happens, especially when we play this very worshipful song called Every New Day. Mm -hmm. It's, Mm -hmm. It's when the crowd and the band, all of the boundaries break down. And you're kind of in that moment like an ax when the Holy Spirit falls on everybody and you're in one accord. And it feels like we're just experiencing a worshipful moment all together. That for me, I don't want to make it an idol. And I really pray that it doesn't become, but that moment is very special to me. So so given the year that we've all had, what do you say to the person who has had that kind of experience where like seeing live music, whether it's Five Iron or somebody else, we're like there. And I'm sure you've heard this before over the years. Like, gosh, your show is like a religious experience. And what they mean by that is not that, it, oh, it feels just like my church at home. It probably feels very different, to be honest. What do you think it is about a live show in a, a community like that that feels to, to so many people like a religious experience? And you know, will we ever get that back, do you think? Well, I think that the struggle is to not make that an idol. Kind of like I said, is if I put that moment on a pedestal, it it can be bad. And so the fascinating thing about this season is that that's all been pulled back. So now my sacred moment is going on this walk with my dog behind my house and looking at the trees change colors. There has to be a moment of sacred that we recognize. It's just an awakening and an opening. And I think so many people come hands open 
to a five iron show and say, oh, I'm going to have that, that religious experience. And that's why it happens. God is faithful. But it's almost just you preparing your heart for that. So if mm-hmm. you can prepare your heart for the five minute prayer before dinner with your family, that can equally be such a sacred moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Leonard, you're also part of an organization called Urban Sky. I would just love to know what does Urban Sky do and what is your role there? It's a ministry. It's a nonprofit Christian ministry here in Denver. And what it does is it allows people that work in different faith areas to raise support, to get paid, to live out their calling. So it's kind of like instead of working at a church, you have this group that keeps you accountable, that keeps you um, in community with other Christians. But you kind of get to say, well, I want to do this or I want to do that. Uh, Some people Mm -hmm. write curriculum. Some people are counselors. Some people employ people that are coming out of homelessness. Um, I work in the prison ministry sector, the women's prison, as well as uh, churches that are based, hosted basically at apartment complexes. Wow. That's so cool. All right. So we, we started the interview talking about the new album until this shakes apart. I'd love to, I'm going to try and shoehorn two questions in the way I often do. One, uh, just tell people about the record, like w- what, what you love about it, but maybe two specifically, is there like a song or even just a lyric on this record that really particularly stands out to you? This is a more, people would use the word angry, but I don't use the word angry. I think a hmm. feistier hmm. album. This is an album where, you know, there's a lot of albums where we're like pointing a little bit of fingers and kind of just saying this needs to change, but this one comes down a little more heavy handed. And I don't think that that's bad. I think mm. that especially in uh, church communities, there is a lot of reckoning where we have to say, are we being or do we feel like we're victimized because we're being victimized or are we just being jerks? And so yeah, you're kind right. of having that conversation. <laughs> There's a song. Um, the last song is called Werfano, which means orphan in Spanish. And the concept being um, all of us in Five Iron submitted to our lead singer, Reese Roper, and he's also the main lyricist, stories where we have been bullied. And he mm. took snippets from those stories and created a song as if it was one person. Wow. And it's it's very vulnerable. But one of the lines in it, and it's just this like dude shout out that I came up with, which is like, you belong, you know, like in hardcore music, where yeah. you pump your fist and everybody screams it. <laughs> I, obviously, I'm not screaming it. I had the guys do it because it sounds silly with me. But <laughs> I just, it says you belong because the concept is... um you may feel like an orphan, you may feel bullied, mm. but everyone belongs because God loves everybody. And that. so no matter how people have treated you, recognize that your worth is so much more than how people treat you. Mm, that's so good. Amen. Uh, we've been thrilled to be joined by Leonor Ortega Till from Five Iron Frenzy. Check out their new album, Until This Shakes Apart. So Leonor, it's really fun to have you on again. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, yeah it's thanks, always friend. a good time. See you guys. See you later. Absolutely. Well, you're listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today. Quick reminder, we have an important kind of, uh, we've got some news to share about the show here to start off the next hour. So make sure you're here at five o'clock. And we got some stuff to talk about, and we're excited to do that. But before we do that, I uh, want to kind of tackle this article from Christianity Today from Alan Bevere. Uh, it's called this, Are There Limits to Civility? Civility is good, but are there limits to it? I think it's a fascinating question. So Ian, why don't you get us into this Christianity Today article? 
I mean, also, first off, props to uh, the use of tackling this article here on the show after Super Bowl. That's uh, that's some next level punning going on there. And uh, I, really, I, I was that's just for you. That's for really, you. <laughs> really, really proud. OK, he writes, I believe in civility in word and in action. I believe that civility should be the norm, the default context in which we human beings deal with each other. And that should be the case above all in the church. In his first letter to the, to the Corinthians, St. Paul states, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The reason that civility is the default position in all of our dealings is because love is the context of our relationship with others. The apostle states specifically in reference to our conversations that civility is to be embraced. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. That's from Colossians 4. And in Ephesians, let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is a need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And if Paul is not convincing, Jesus warns us about words we use, saying, I tell you, on the day of judgment, you will have to give an account for every careless word you utter. That's from Matthew 12. Our words reveal who we are. They reveal our character. Once again, we hear the words of Jesus, and he quotes here from Luke chapter 6, for each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorns, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. There are plenty of additional scriptures I could cite, but what I've listed is more than sufficient. That civility is the norm, uh, is the norm should not be controversial, but also... I also do not think it is controversial to observe that in our general discourse in the United States and in the church in America, civility is lacking. It seems that when it comes to politics, religion, and now even as medicine has been politicized, it appears difficult to have a civil and reasonable discussion. The ever-present reality of 24-7 cable news, the continued onslaught of talking heads on TV and radio, I mean, I guess that includes us, and the ability <laughs> for people to comment on internet posts, insulting responses to well-crafted and intelligent arguments just make matters worse. But, he asks, is there a limit to civility? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a quick pause there, actually, because I think he sets that up well. I think I know you well enough, Brian. I don't imagine you find much disagreement in, with what I've read so far. Am I right in assuming that? You are correct. Yeah, I think he, he has nailed it pretty well that uh, we uh, – it's Jim Dennison that we had on who wrote that book, I believe, right? Respectfully, I disagree, kind of the need for civility. Uh, and so I think he's laid it out really well in the age of social media that we live in, in the age of hot takes and and needing to be right more than anything that that there is, especially like you said, when you turn on uh, cable news, when you turn on talk radio, I'd like to think we're different uh, when you turn on other spots uh, there. Civility does not appear to be a high value culturally. And then that seeps down into the culture. So he goes on. And asks, is there a time to no longer speak respectfully, but clearly and directly in a prophetic way that will indeed offend certain people? It's a great question. The Old Testament prophets were not always kind, giving the word of the Lord. At times, they were downright insulting. That's true. The prophet Amos, Amos? I don't know why I said it like that. Amos <laughs> refers to the wealthy women in the north of Galilee as cows of Bashan. Jesus himself gets angry with the religious leaders in Matthew chapter 23, referring to them as whitewashed tombs, all beautiful on the outside, but inside filled with the bones of the dead. That's a reference Brian Fromm loves to use. 
mm-hmm. calls them hypocrites and blind guides. St. Paul, who counsels us to civil conversation, also at times is extremely angry. He is so incensed that the church in Galatia have reverted to one form or another of Torah observance that he refers to them as foolish or stupid, depending on the translation. Conceptually, Paul calls uh, calls them empty-headed, you brainless Galatians. He's also so angry at the prospect of the Gentile Galatian converts picking up the practice of circumcision that he says to them in stark fashion, I wish you would go the whole way and emasculate yourselves. I wish you would cut it all off. Galatians 5.12. These are not civil words. So that's kind of the turn in the article, as it were. What do you think of what he said there? Is there a time and a place in modern discourse, modern interactions where like, hey, uh, I still love you and I'm still going to do this as lovingly as I can, but I need to speak some harsh truths or some mm, intense truths to you. Yeah, I do think so. And and you know me well enough over the years that, that I am not one who runs to um, to arguments. I'm not one who uh, runs to conflict, but I, but I think he's he set this up pretty well in the sense that I could think of two instances where uh, civility isn't maybe uh, or where harsh uh, harsh words are needed. One is in the midst of relationship, right? Like if if there are people that I've invited closely into my life to speak into my life, there there are times I need them just to tell the truth, and sometimes in the course of friendship or family, that needs to be said in in a uh, we'll use the word harsh. His word it needs to be done in a harsh way. Uh, and I also, especially as we've seen over the last year, it seems like uh, in the face of of injustice and in the face where uh, where there is a person or groups of people um, being, whether it be abused or it be sidelined or just where, where they're, they're being wronged, uh, I do think that's a time to stand up for people and go, hey, now's the time to speak harshly because this is just wrong. So in the midst of that, I would say uh, those would fall under the category. I do think you know, as a general rule of thumb, uh, hey, I want to I want to attack every debate and argument with as much civility as possible is probably a good rule of thumb. But I do think he's right that there probably are times where civility doesn't need to be uh, the highest goal. It, uh, and sometimes it's just uh, not possible. And he does reference here theologian Reinhold Niebuhr, uh, who rightly observed that often those with power use civility in such a way to get what they want while keeping those without such power from getting what they need. Civility is employed in the process. And that's some of what you were getting at, too. It does feel like there are times, and and sometimes the word isn't civility. Uh, do I want to step in it on a Monday? I, I do, do. I feel like often the word unity can be used in the same way, where if you're in the majority position or the authoritative one or the powerful one or the influential one, sort of like ah, let's all have unity, and like yeah, but there's a whole lot that's broken here, and for us just to toss around unity without also dealing with like reconciliation, reckoning, repentance, lament, all the, all that stuff is in there too. Sometimes unity becomes like the church version, the more socially acceptable highbrow version of Kumbaya. You know what I mean? Like, ah, unity. You know, like sometimes someone's call for civility is completely warranted. Like, yeah, this is all getting a bit out of, out of control and we're not actually making any progress. But I think, I think this author's spot on that sometimes, sometimes civility is code for, why let's all just play a little nicer mm-hmm. subtext so that the status quo can remain the same. And I think that's, that's where it becomes really problematic. 
Yeah, he goes on at the end to say, as I said, I do not know how to resolve the tensions here, but I know this, the Jesus who offered gentle counsel, comforting words and deeds of compassion to those who suffered is the same Jesus who at times was most uncivil. Later on, he says, while I reject violence in all its forms, be ready, whether it be bodily violence or the destruction of property, there may come a time when calling people names and turning over tables are indeed righteous options. This is a, this is one to really wrestle with as the church, as individuals. Uh, when is are there limits to civility? We'd encourage you to give a read to this. Uh, it's up at our Facebook uh, page, Twitter and Instagram. We're glad you're joining us here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Coming up this hour, we've got some news to share about the future of the show. And then we're excited to be joined by Tyler Huckabee, executive editor at Relevant Magazine. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, friends, welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We are really glad to have you joining us today. Uh, anyone who listens to the show for uh, for at all today, you know that I've been teasing a couple uh, different times that off the five o'clock hour here, we've got some uh, what I would call big news here for the common good and uh, for us. So it's time for us to share. It's time for us to pay that off and uh, mm. make sure it's big news. So, Ian, the big news is yours. So I am going to give you the floor, my friend. Yeah, I. uh so after a lot of prayer and uh, counsel and consideration, uh, I'm actually switching to a goatee. So <laughs> I knew it was coming out as a joke. About that. <laughs> You're going to start only wearing hoodies. Yeah, we, I don't. Even, I'm not even sure that I own a hoodie. To be honest, I'll have to see if I can <laughs> uh, if I can find one. No. Um, so it's actually been almost a no, a little over a year in the works, actually. Well, let me tell the let me tell the news first, and then I'll I'll reverse engineer it. So, uh, at the end of this month, uh, my wife and our two boys and I will be moving to Nashville, Tennessee. We have mm-hmm. uh, accepted a position at a really, really wonderful, beautiful church down there called the Bridge, and uh, I imagine there might be some need for backstory here. So let me let me kind of I'll give the thirty thousand foot perspective, and then Brian, I'll, I'll let you ask whatever, whatever questions you want, but, um, just to get a couple of things kind of out in the open, uh, we did not go looking for this, uh, as bluntly as I can put it, this was a, a completely out of the blue kind of Holy spirit experience. And, uh, it's been a really, really bizarre last year for everybody as we know. And so to be in a conversation with a church in a state that, you know, Katie and I never really ever anticipated moving to my family's in Detroit. Hers is here in Chicago land. So in our minds, we'd sort of assumed like, well, we're, we're just always going to be in one of those two cities or somewhere in between. And this last year has just been such a, a journey of really in a lot of ways, us praying, Lord, would you just make it really clear, make it, a, make it a very clear open door, a very clear closed door. And that's led us to, some of the most profound sense of like dependence on God, I think we've ever felt in our marriage and individually. And uh, so it's certainly been filled with just a ton of tears and, and fasting and prayer and, and even 
moments where we thought, all right, well, this isn't what God has for us, where we felt like, you know, God had, had made something clear. And the metaphor, I think, I think it's my wife who said it, you know, she, our prayer has been, God, just make it a really, really clear open door or closed door. And right before we, we made our, our decision, she's like, it feels like the Lord ripped the door off the hinges here. Like it was <laughs> like to her, use her words. It was like, I don't think we can deny anymore that like, this is what God is, is leading us toward. This is what God is stirring in us. And, um, so obviously, yeah, our, our hearts are, are really, really excited for, for mm-hmm. this next season, but they're also like just incredibly grieved. You know, we're, we're leaving. I mean, she's been here her entire life. I've been in Chicagoland since 2003, you know, so many friends and community, this, this show, to be honest, has just meant so much to us. And I feel like it's been such a gift to be able to do it with you, Brian, and to be able to meet such incredible guests and the leadership at AM 1160 has just been so su- supportive and encouraging. And uh, it all feels kind of surreal still, to be honest, because it's right. like we're still in a pandemic. There's a lot of people we haven't seen physically in like a very, very long time and probably won't be able to, you know, before we move. So like our hearts are really sad about a lot of that. But at, at the end of the day, though, yeah, we just have and I'm so grateful for this because this is what we prayed for. It just absolute clarity and certainty. Like this is this is where God is leading us next, and That's we awesome. just we just can't wait. Yeah, and uh, what I would tell people is when you told me the name of the church down in Nashville, the bridge, I was like, I've actually been to that church. Right, <laughs> like, I right. know some people at that church, and that church is phenomenal. And I told you that the first time. I'm like, I don't want you to go anywhere, man. But if you're going to go somewhere, <laughs> like this <laughs> might be a good idea. Yeah, uh, and yeah. Uh, and so. Yeah, super excited for you. You already sent me a text today saying it's 45 degrees in Nashville today. So that's also can't hurt. Uh, and, and people might be out there wondering, and we're going to talk about this more as the week goes on. But Ian and I, the last show that we'll do together will be this Friday. So the show, right. uh, as currently constituted, is going to come to an end this Friday. But that doesn't mean that the common good is coming to an end. So Ian will be done. And uh, we joked about, mm, I'm sure they have stations down in Nashville, but you don't go to a new <laughs> church and keep a, a side hustle, a side job. Uh, but we'll talk about this more in the future. The show is going to continue. I'm going to continue on the show and we'll let you know as we know what that's going to look like here going into the future. Uh, but the show will continue, but just without Ian. But I'm, I have a feeling we'll call you sometimes and just kind of check in <laughs> while live on the air. And uh, it's been really good, man. It's been really uh, it's been a blessing for me to watch the way your current church has blessed you and loved you, the mm-hmm. way your new church has been embracing you. Uh, and it just kind of, you know, from afar feels right. And we'll we jokingly said over text, we'll we'll do all the emotional. You know, I'm sure we'll play Michael W. Smith's Friends or Friends Forever <laughs> some point this week. But I can't wait. Uh you, you touched on this already, but like, what what's your excitement? Like, what are you excited about, about this move to the bridge in Nashville? Gosh, there's so much, man. Um, you know, this, this church has been without a lead pastor for two years. And one of those years was in a pandemic. And the stories that are, that are happening right now in real time of like just the faithfulness of God, the leadership there have just led with such humility and such like spirit receptivity. Like it's, I've never seen anything like it, to be honest. Like it's, you talk about a really tough two years and you think, oh man, they're probably really struggling right now. It's like, (laughs) man, quite the opposite, actually. Like it's a very, very 
inspiring like the team culture is just remarkable like kind of how you mentioned both community and the bridge we we feel overwhelmed with gratitude i feel like community just sent us so well and then with you know with their blessing and and all sorts of notes and texts and emails and all that and the bridge is just like receiving us so well they sent us a care package a couple days ago with t-shirts from my boys and i and 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 my wife and like games and and like just you know being so intentional about uh, encouraging us and praying for us and the community is not just the staff. It's the, that's the whole community, like just the way that they have already made us feel so loved and we're not even down there yet. Um, that just feels, that just feels great. It feels like that's one of the things that they say a lot about that area is that it's, it's kind of over church, but under gospeled. And I'm like, Oh, oh wow. that, that just makes me excited. Like people who, you know, like, maybe have been doing the church thing, but maybe have an experience like the depth and richness, the freeing truth of the gospel. And that that's what I'm excited about, man. That's that's why I got into ministry. That's why I love preaching the word. And yeah, and I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. And so we'll talk a lot more about it this week. And like you, you highlighted like, hey, this wasn't something planned. You and I were literally in the middle of renegotiating contract to keep doing this show. And, mm-hmm. you know, as you were wrestling with this and so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm super excited for you, man. As we said, and we'll talk about this as the week goes on. I will miss doing the show with you. There's nobody I talk to more outside of my <laughs> wife than you from doing a daily show together. Likewise. So I'm sure that will continue except for the show part. Uh, but looking forward to it. Anyway, we'll talk more about that, but you'll see this on social media as well. Uh, the common good with Ian and I will be done this Friday. Uh, and then there'll be kind of a new variation that we're excited about to see what that will be. Well, coming up next, Tyler Huckabee, executive editor at Relevant Magazine, is going to join us to talk about a bunch of different things. Uh, most of all, we're going to talk about that Bruce Springsteen ad that played during the Super Bowl last night. That's coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks so much for joining us. And we are thrilled to be joined by the executive editor of Relevant Magazine, Tyler Huckabee. Tyler, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, man, thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this. It's really good to be here. Oh, it's our pleasure. We're looking forward to this as well. Before we jump into the things we want to talk about, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience so they can get to know you? Sure. Uh, I'm Tyler Huckabee. Uh, I, there is no relation to the other Huckabees you may have uh, probably heard about. <laughs> uh, we'll get that out of the way early. Uh, I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and I've been with Relevant Magazine for about five years now. And uh, yeah, that, that's really about all there is to it. Uh, other than that, I, uh, I have been stuck inside for about a year now, like many people. So there's really just not a lot to talk about in my life. I have nothing going on. I, I just sit here. We're pretty much convinced that's how we've gotten anyone on the show over the last year. People are like, sure, what else am I going to do? I'll join the show. (laughs) And speaking of people saying, sure, what else am I going to do? The Super Bowl was yesterday. And uh, it seems like today, almost more than Tom Brady or the game itself, everyone's talking about a specific ad. And uh, you actually wrote an article for it. And uh, I'd love to get some of your responses to the Bruce Springsteen Jeep ad that so many people seem to be talking about today. What what is all the buzz about? Yeah, so the the ad, and I need to clarify here. I I came to this ad a little late. I was not actually watching the big game, but <laughs> I but I was willing to tune in for a few reasons. To this, Bruce Springsteen uh, is my he's probably my favorite musician 
Um, my favorite artist. I'm a longtime fan of Bruce. And I'm also a longtime fan of Jeep. Actually, they're not paying me to say this. I just like the product. The, the Jeep's are good cars. I used to have one. I, I got totaled in a wreck last year, unfortunately, but I would like to have another one again in my life. So by all accounts, this ad should have really worked for me and and it did not. So what what it is is you have this uh these these very plaintive, uh sort of mournful a overhead drone shots of America sort of in winter and the flags are blowing gently in the breeze and it's, it's out mm-hmm. in Kansas and you hear Bruce's monotone in the background giving this, which happened a number of times in a number of different ads on Super Bowl Sunday, uh, sort of a, this little kind of secularized sermon about the importance of unity and coming together. And even right. though we're apart, we're still one and nothing that I'm, explicitly against i I like unity and i'm generally pro people getting along Uh, so i'm so i didn't have a problem with that but this particular ad focused on a chapel in the middle of kansas which is roughly the center of the u.s and the the monologue which i don't believe springsteen wrote but did say referred to this as the middle and the middle is this sort of hallowed ground where if we can just put down, if we can learn to get over ourselves and meet there in the middle, which is symbolized by this little chapel, then we can, all of our problems will go away and we can get back to the way things are supposed to be, which is where people mm-hmm. are sort of in the center, uh, are, are existed, existing as centrists. And this chapel has some very, to me, sort of uh, problematic imagery in it. There's a map of the United States with a cross over it. There are a number of shots of crosses and of Protestant crosses on here, including one that sort of Bruce is in front of it and the cross is behind him and the sun is setting. And it's very, very pretty, but it also really harkens to a type of Christian nationalism, which comes from more of a place of, of centrism than the hmm. far right. You do hear a lot about Christian nationalism when it comes to the far right, especially with the insurrection on January 6th earlier this year. But you don't hear about it as much in this context. But I still think it it can be very problematic no matter what political side of the aisle it's being deployed for. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's jump in there on that Christian nationalism. Could you help uh, flesh it out, define that for some people who might be like, you know what, I've heard you guys talk about it. I've heard this term. Uh Uh, So maybe flesh out what you mean by Christian nationalism and then take it another step as to why is that problematic? Yeah. So Christian nationalism, there's a lot of different definitions of it, but the one that I like is it's where you get, you you take Christianity and you take patriotism and you put them in a cocktail shaker and you mix them up hmm. and what comes out is this thing that's a little hard to know what's what anymore, right? You, what, there's a, a uh, you can, the idea can be summed up as, do you consider being a Christian to be somehow part of being an American to the point where if you're not a Christian, you're somehow a little bit less of an American or your identity isn't quite as American as other people's, as other people's who are more Christian are. Now, this mm-hmm. idea has been reinforced many, many times in many different ways, uh, including that you see a lot of paraphernalia like the cross and the flag and a bald eagle, and it can get very hokey and very hacky, but you even see it too. It, it, we, we saw it in the inauguration to some extent. There were uh, there were these light displays that were put on the cathedral in Washington, D.C. of the American right. flag. And that's very recent, and it didn't get nearly as much attention as some of the crosses that were brought in for the insurrection on January 6th. But it does come from the same place of trying to put this idea of God's favor 
uh, America is at its best when America is its most Christian and vice mm. versa. Christianity is at its best when it's mostly American. And I think that's where you get this. You start to draw these lines about who is inside and who is outside. There yeah. does by setting up this idea of a Christian middle, everybody who doesn't fit into that category, whether because of their identity, their race, possibly in some cases, their gender, their orientation, they're somehow not quite as welcome in what this, uh, this alleged, the so-called American middle is. And that I think is very, very problematic because Christians need to be above, need to think bigger than a two dimensional line of right, left or center. Uh, we we're called to something that's bigger and more radical, frankly, Mm -hmm. than just a middle We're we're called to a, an extraordinary vision of democracy as uh, as Dr. King called it, that is, that really goes, uh, goes well beyond, uh, the competing economic and social views that Republicans and Democrats put forward popularly today. See, what, what I so appreciate about this article is because you're using the commercial as a jumping off point. But you talk about it, I think, really wonderfully to this idea that like, hey, the, the kingdom of God is just sort of the middle. If we can all sort of take the best of this side or the yeah. best of this side, then you sort of magically find the Jesus way. And those tend to be the tweets that I catch the most heat for, to be honest. With you. Like, I don't think it's I don't think it's the mix between A and B. I don't mm-hmm. think that's how how this works and you have this one line that I'd love for you to respond to. You said reconciliation without a reckoning is just revisionism. Could, could you talk to me a little bit more about what you meant by that? Yeah, sure. Uh, so the idea with reckoning, reconciliation without reckoning is just revisionism is the idea. I do believe in reconciliation. Uh, I'm a Christian. Right. Reconciliation right. is, is like fundamental to the way I look at the world. I wish we had more of it, but I think what we often mean by that is not really peacemaking, but just some sort of uh, it's a it's a negative thing. It's an absence of conflict. We don't work through conflict. We don't sort through what happened. We don't really have to forgive each other. We're just supposed to forget what happened and and move on. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so can be very very damaging because what you're really doing is you're revising the idea of history to say it wasn't that big of a deal. Our disagreements don't really matter that much. What's more important is it's unity. Unity being in this idea sort of the chief virtue that all other virtues must bow down before. And don't think that's right at all. I I think that there are some of the things that have happened that we need to reconcile over are very significant, have great moral weight to them, and they need to be dealt with. And they need to be Hmm. dealt with in a serious way. And and apologies need to be made that really demand something of us. And forgiveness needs to be made that will be a, uh, that really changes the whole tenor of these relationships. I hope it happens. I want to, I want to see it happen, but I don't think until that happens, until there's this reckoning, you're going to get true reconciliation. Hmm. Oh, that's good. Again, we're being joined by the executive editor of Relevant Magazine, Tyler Huckabee. Uh, you can find Tyler on Twitter at Tyler Huckabee. That's at Tyler Huckabee. I'd encourage everybody go to Relevant Magazine. Tyler has written just at, we were just talking off air. There's so many different articles I want to ask you about because uh, so much good stuff. But Tyler, I do have one more question about the Bruce Springsteen Jeep mm-hmm. ad from last night, Super Bowl. And this might be an unanswerable question, so I apologize in advance. But why do you think Jeep made this commercial? What does it say about us as a culture? It's not a Christian organization, right? And uh, so what, if you had to guess, what was Jeep thinking when they were like, that's where we want to spend our millions of dollars on this ad? That I I, th- I don't want to say unanswerable because it is an answerable question. I, I obviously do want to be careful about presuming too much from Jeep, mm-hmm. but I do think that there has been as 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 our country has gotten more secularized with the absence of the decline of religion, there is this sort of new 
uh, moral compass that has come in its place because nature abhors a vacuum. And I think kind of as I, like I alluded to in the previous segment, uh, one of the virtues in this new moral compass is unity above all else. Uh, the prioritization, the primacy of um, of moving on past conflict and you see this in a lot of the sort of a um, sort of the mythalization of people like Martin Luther King Jr., who has been recast as this person who just wanted everybody to get along, and and why this right. is how it always have to be black and white, which is obviously was very much not uh, the entirety of his message. But if you talk to a lot of people, that's what they would say. So I think that has become more and more part of our national identity. We don't live it out. Uh, obviously that's kind of another way that we're that secularization is very much like religion. You have these high ideals and then you don't live by them. But I think that Jeep very much has its finger on the pulse of what America wants and what a lot of America wants right now is just to move on, uh, Mm -hmm. for better Mm -hmm. or as, as I would, as I would say, probably worse. Yeah. So you, you write, uh, about a lot of different topics and it's almost frustrating because you write about them really well. Every time I see a new article, I'm like, <laughs> I've never seen him tackle this topic before. And gosh, darn it. It's, it's also, I mean, and I mean it and I appreciate it. And you, it you're writing, feel good. No, it does. But anything from, from Beth Moore to conspiracy theories to, you know, what socialism isn't. And I, I kind of want to merge all of that into one question. Cause I think that you, I think that you thread this needle really well as a, as a Christ follower, you're a self-proclaimed Christian. And this is probably some of the biggest criticism we've gotten with the show is, Brian and Ian, you guys are pastors. Like, just talk about the gospel. Just stick to mm-hmm. Jesus. Don't bother talking about a anything that's happening in politics or b anything that's happening in culture. Two things that I think you tackle exceptionally well. What What do you say to the person that legitimately feels like I don't get bogged down with politics and culture? Just stick to uh-huh. the gospel. Stick to Jesus. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think that there that can come from a few different impulses when you hear that in relevant magazine, you know, the, the whole idea of relevant is the intersection of faith and culture. So if you go to relevant, you're like, just stick to faith. Well, that's not really (laughs) the beat. So (laughs) sorry, there's other magazines that do that, but we're just not one of them. Um, But my response to that would be that, that that is a small vision of what the gospel is. The gospel Mm -hmm. is, is huge and transcendent and it incorporates, it's about all of reality. It's about not just uh, what happens when we die or, or how we pray. And, and certainly not just about, you know, the, the sexual ethics it's, it should change. And I think most people technically, most Christians kind of agree with this, that it should affect every mm-hmm. single part of your life. And I would just argue that does go to how you vote. Uh, how you think about things like consumerism and capitalism, how you think about Jeeps, how you think about <laughs> where your clothes are made and and diets and the prison system and capital punishment and uh, obviously Beth Moore and all these things, you know, and, and that goes uh, WandaVision for crying out loud. You know, the, the, the gospel is a is a way of it, in addition to many other things. Uh, it does transform how you see the world and how you think about all these things. And I do strive very imperfectly to let that affect my life and how I talk and what my praxis is, the praxis being yeah. the outworking of my idea of the gospel, which does affect all the things that you mentioned. Mm. And so one of the articles you wrote relatively uh, recently is this, how Beth Moore is showing a new way forward. Beth Moore, yeah. uh, those of us who've been in the church world know of her from years ago, right? A uh-huh. Prolifically a great teacher, Bible studies. Uh, but on Twitter, like she is a lightning rod and she's pretty <laughs> active. And so with that as kind of the backdrop, I guess I would just ask, how is Beth Moore showing a new way forward for us? <laughs> I think that the, I, the, I love Beth. 
Um, uh, and, and she, I've known about Beth pretty much my whole life and have been fortunate the past few years to be, we've become Twitter mutuals. I, I don't, we like, I don't know if we're friends, but, but if you're a mutual on Twitter with me, then I call you a friend. And that's just um, I think what Beth has shown a willingness to do is to tackle the complex that, that she stood on for a long time. Uh, and that's very, very difficult. I think a, what keeps a lot of people, including a, anybody can be guilty of this, is uh, you get very nervous about uh, about saying or doing anything that will jeopardize your income and uh, your mm-hmm. standing. And you can make a lot of understandably like what seem like very small concessions to boldness and in, in the effort to like keep your piece of the pie and stay in the circle. And she has just been absolutely unwilling to do that and, and tackle some of the the biggest, uh, the, the holiest cows that we have in white evangelicalism. And uh, she's faced a lot of backlash for it. And I think that the courage that she has shown puts a lot of these kind of so-called aggro wild at heart men to shame because, <laughs> uh, because she has, there, there has not been a false bone in her body that I've been able to perceive. And mm-hmm. I, I'm very, very grateful for from so many people, how grateful they are for somebody like Beth Moore, whose witness has shown them that there are uh, some Christians who are not willing to back down from what they've always said they believe. Gosh, I, I had a mentor uh, right out of college. One of the things he used to tell us all the time was, it's really hard to speak prophetically to the powers that cut your paycheck. And <laughs> at like 21, 22, oh, yeah. I did not realize how, how true that was. And that feels like mm-hmm. that's a lot of what you're getting at. We actually did an article in the show about like the limits of civility and how sometimes you need to you need to speak some difficult prophetic loving but sometimes maybe harsh words and i i would love to know with the last couple of minutes that we have like how do we how do we do that how do we find a way forward when it does seem like the chasm is widening in a lot of ways and everything's taken out of context or misinterpreted like how do we actually like you were saying work towards the kind of reconciliation that also includes repentance and reckoning and lament and something that looks more like jesus rather than sweeping stuff under the rug how do, how do we actually do that it's a great question. And my feeling is, is that when we think of it as a chasm or a divide, I, I think we do it kind of a disservice. It, mm. there, is a, there is something between us. It's not an emptiness. It's not a gulf. Uh, but conflict is a real tangible thing. It's a spirit that we have. And, uh, and it, it, so you can't just fill this with love because there's something in the way of love right now. You mm. can't just fill it with understanding because there's something in the way of understanding right now. So it has to be removed. It, it has to be extracted. And that will come about through boldness, through courage, through calling others to repentance, through prophetic word, and through doing the work ourselves right. of finding out where we've gotten things wrong, right? Of, of what we have put between us and the other people around us. And when you do that, when you do the work of removing these obstacles that are, that are between us and the people that we feel divided from, that we feel often scared of, terrified of, of, feel violence towards, then we can do the hard work of replacing that with love and unity. Uh, so there's a, it, it is a two-step process. It's not just reaching across the aisles. Mm. It's taking what's out of the way and then reaching over. and talking. So it, it's going to take a lot of time. But, yeah. the, but my, my strong feeling is that we are trying to skip an important step before we uh before we get to unity yeah tyler we're super grateful for the time you've given to us again tyler huckabee is the executive editor at relevant magazine tyler before we let you go where can people find where can they read your articles where can they find you on social media 
Of course, uh, relevantmagazine.com is where I do most of my writing. You can find me. I'm, I'm much too active on Twitter, at Tyler Huckabee is just my name. Uh, those are really the only two places that, I, that I, I'm, I'm very easy to find. If you, if, you, if you find me anywhere else, then I don't want you to. It's, it's, not, it's not me. Outstanding. Outstanding. Well, Tyler, thanks so much, man. This has been fun. Again, that's Tyler Huckabee, executive editor at Relevant Magazine. Thanks, Tyler. This was fun. Thanks, man. Oh, thank you so much, guys. Appreciate it. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, I'm Brian Fromm. Ian, I just got to say... Uh, Tyler Huckabee was really fun to talk to. We got to talk to him yes. more, but, uh, but that was really fun. Yeah, he's a uh, he's a great guest. He also does podcasting, so he's he's not just like like he was incredibly gracious and I thought really well spoken. But he's also just like good at the craft. Like you can tell that he speaks into a microphone Correct. consistently. Yeah, we didn't mention this. Not only is he the executive editor at Relevant Magazine, but it also says here he's the co-host of the Cape Town podcast. Mm-hmm. So I don't know really what that's about, but I'm sure it's worth <laughs> listening to because Tyler's always a good listen every time we have him on. Well, we're going to end the segment with something near and dear to Ian's heart. But before we do that, we're going to do something near and dear to my heart. Let's hear about the holidays of the day. Oh, OK. Well, this first one I can't pronounce. It's uh, Slovenia and it's Preserende. What is, sure. What's the little, the little, like, it looks like a U over the S. How do I pronounce that? Sharon? I have no idea. Right. No idea. Well, let's keep on moving then. It's also National Boy Scouts Day. That's under weird. Oh, you were a Boy Scout, right? For, were a Boy Scout? Yeah, very, very short window. I can't. Yeah, I, I never was. Yeah. We've we've also talked about that. I think I was kicked out for what it's worth. Um, <laughs> it is National Kite Flying Day. Man, I love a good kite. I miss, yeah, I miss kite yeah. flying. I can't wait till my boys are old enough to fly kites. That's going to be fun. Uh, here's the thing. National Football Hangover Day. Iro- uh, not ironically. I mean, uh, <laughs> that that's what it should be today. I know that's why it's today. I think the word you're looking I for. Ironically, is, that it landed today. Appropriately <laughs> is the word you're looking for. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. You ever have that? I know you do. You ever just have that mind block where you're like, I know I'm not saying the word I'm meaning to say right now, but mm-hmm. it, I already said it. <laughs> yeah. You know, when your brain just like, like, you know, it, like it, uh, like it, like, like it. Uh, <laughs> I see what, see you're what doing. I did. Okay. Uh, I was hoping you get it soon because I was going to keep with the bit until you stopped me. Uh, it's also National Clean Out Your Computer Day. Boring. As boring as yesterday's game. And then it is a. It's a. It's a state. And um, par for the course. I'll let you. I'll let you guess which state it is. Oh, there is no doubt that today is National Arizona Day. Man, one of the. I, if you actually do get one of these, I'm going to lose my mind because that would be. I mean, I guess that's only one in fifty. <laughs> But yes. Still, it's not. It's Iowa Day. National Iowa Day. Happy Iowa Day to everyone. There you go. Well, I said that we we're going to talk about something as we end the show. We like to end the show just with something to think about, whether it be inspirational or just, uh, you know, here's some, something you could do for your health, whatever else it might be. Uh, and one of the things Ian told us about, especially obviously when the weather was much warmer, that you in the in the covid pandemic made a regular part of your life was a family walk, a mm-hmm. walk with your kids, a walk with your wife. Uh, also, something my wife and I and kids would do a lot. We got a new dog. So walking the dog a lot, especially obviously when it was warm out. And so this uh, this article was interesting at the Harvard Business Review. Thought we would end the show this way. Don't underestimate the power of a walk. Don't underestimate 
the power of a walk. Why don't you get us into this about what's the power of a walk? I was just thinking before we get into that, Brian, juxtaposing how we've been ending the show, how we used to end the show. Like your setup, there was like, we like to end the show with something inspirational, something like it used to be bizarre news headlines that our producers found for us. (laughs) Like that's how the show used to end. Once you leave this show, you know what we're going back to. <laughs> why you, why wait till I leave? We should bring that but we should bring back we should bring back every segment we've ever done for this final week, which would be what? Grinds my gears. Uh oh. If I could do grinds my gears, I am in for this. Obviously. Yes. Interweb insanity. What else have we done? Mm-hmm. Some good news. Tough, I mean, good we, news, obviously. Good news. Yep, yep. We we did used to on Mondays we would do what did you preach? Oh, with the uh, the John Legend rejoin, right? <laughs> yes, 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 yes. We do holidays now. We do holidays. Wow, so, yeah, what that might be all you know, it. when you list it out like that, you realize what an edgy show this really is. Just <laughs> <laughs> how we do holidays. We do <laughs> We'd, How have they let us stay on? What, what kind of fruitcake today is fruitcake day? All right. Now that we burned all that time. Whereas Harvard Business Review, don't underestimate the power of a walk. Okay. Deborah, I won't. Uh, several years ago, I was watching a Today Show segment about helping your children and teens create healthy habits. The subject of the piece was a notable nutritionist whose kids were reluctant to eat their greens and work up a sweat. That's a weird sentence. <laughs> Yes, it Are they is. working up a sweat because they're eating the greens or is there just a <laughs> is there a heat issue in the house? Anyway, the most memorable quote came from one of her preteens who said, walking makes me sad. <laughs> I must admit that if I think about choosing between catching up on watching the crown or walking, walking would make me sad, too. In fact, if I had to choose between walking and any of my not so guilty pleasures like baking triple chocolate brownies or shopping for Japanese pancake molds online, they'll arrive in two days. I would choose the latter. But when I think about the simplest and most strategic thing I am able to do for myself that's COVID safe, it's walking. When I weigh what activity I can do almost every day with little preparation, minimal effort, no special equipment, and that can contract or expand to fit the exact amount of time I have available, it's walking. When I consider what I can do for myself, even when my back pain is flaring up, it's walking. When I want to do something that's good for my mind, body, and soul, it's walking. When I want someone's company, physically distanced, of course, or just want to be alone, walking works. She's going to get into some of her own walking habits, saying she walks three miles per day most days of the week. But I'm curious, Brian, do you find her case for walking to be compelling at all? I do. And uh, she's going to get into a list here above productivity uh, and above exercise and transportation, why walking is good. Uh, ways, she says, five additional ways to walk with a purpose. But uh, before we get into her list, I do, man, There, when I regularly walk, uh, I it's I could tell that it's not only good for my body, but good for my soul. Like I remember when I was on sabbatical a couple of years ago where I had a lot more space in my day, uh, I would walk once or twice a day with our dog. And I always went the same route. And I always felt like that's where I did my best thinking, hmm. that I felt healthier. I was out in the, in the air. Like it was all it, there was nothing bad about it. And uh, so, yeah, I, I do uh, do appreciate that. And I know you do, too, from the amount of walking you did this summer. Just going, yeah, nope, this is good for my family. This is what we're going to do. I mean, just because uh, I did so, it doesn't I'll, mean I appreciated it. That's There's a lot of things I do that I I don't love. That's for sure. 
Valid point. Valid point. So let me let me run through her list, and I want you just to we'll end the show by you choosing one of these that stands out to you. She says, "For those of us who can walk, we know that we can walk for exercise or for transport and for transportation. And here are five additional ways to walk with purpose." Now, this is a hard one to read as I look at the snow coming down in front of mm-hmm. me out my window right now. Uh, but you know, maybe it's a treadmill or just bundling up and going outside. She says, "One, uh, walk for perspective. Two, Walk for connection. Three, walk for learning. Uh, four, walk for gratitude. And five, walk for productivity. So, Ian, grab one of those five as we talk about why just a nice daily walk can be good for you. What's uh, Give me one of those five that stood out. I'm going to break the rules, ignore that request, and read something earlier in the article that I think maybe kind of answers it. If that's okay. Uh, journalist, I don't think I could stop you. Yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> journalist Ferris Jabber writes that when we go for a walk, we perform better on tests of memory and attention. Our brain cells build new connections, staving off the usual withering of brain tissue that comes with age. We can actively change the pace of our thoughts by deliberately walking more briskly or slowly. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, a single bout of moderate to vigorous activity, including walking, can improve our sleep thinking and learning while reducing symptoms of anxiety. I'll just end with that because I feel like if ever you needed a case mm-hmm. for it, people probably in the back of their minds have some sense of like, oh, I think it's a good thing to do and probably had no idea that that list was true, like that all of those things were actually helpful. So I I would just encourage you to go read the whole thing. I think you'll be most surprised by the fifth one, Walk for Productivity, to be honest. But the whole I think the article is uh it is a bummer looking out at all the snow and then the temperatures that we have come in the next 10 days. Right. But at the very right. least, I found it compelling. Yeah. And ironically, I take it from a pastoral sense for me or just from following Jesus. When I walk, I pray better. I yeah, When totally. I'm walking and praying, it's so much better than when I'm just sitting and praying. So there's a lots of great things about taking a walk. And I wanted to end the show that way because, as he had said, a lot of us are feeling anxiety cooped up. We're feeling a lot of this stuff. Take a look at this article. Don't underestimate the power of a walk. We're going to be back with you tomorrow from four until six. Until then, have a great night. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life.